You're listening to Work Tape, episode 87. Welcome to another edition of the Work Tape podcast. It's your boy, Money Mitchell. We got Isaac Groven Grover. How's it going? And today, um, we're going to continue and kind of put a little bit of an end to a series that we started um, in February um, during Black History Month, talking about prolific Black music producers. And of course, we can't talk about prolific Black music producers and kind of a Mount Rushmore in that way of, of producers without talking about Dr. Dre. And specifically with Dre, the thing that's once again, so important, the commonality that he has with Quincy Jones, Nile Rogers, and, and Jay Dilla that we talked about previously is just longevity and influence um, within the music industry. Um, I mean, from kind of the very beginning, you know, with Dre being um, one of the members of the legendary hip hop group NWA, getting a lot of kind of the early production credits on Straight Outta Compton, which is one of the best hip-hop records, catapulting and propelling gangster rap into the public consciousness, um, establishing the West Coast as, or establishing the West Coast hip-hop scene, rather. Um, Not to say that, you know, they were completely the first ones to do so, because you did have um, people like Ice-T, who kind of um, were also getting the West Coast movement started. But with Straight Outta Compton, I mean, it was an album that definitely moved the West Coast forward in regards to hip-hop and getting more of that kind of gangster rap sound. G-Funk, a lot of the early G-Funk is kind of within that. And then, of course, due to many disputes, but mostly in regards to just payment and a couple other things um nwa did disband um mostly just because uh, a fair amount of the members were kind of getting stiffed a bit on royalties and so in that process dre split off and um kind of did his own thing got with death row records in the early 90s and put out his solo record the chronic which not only did great things for him, but also for rapper that you might know, which is Snoop Dogg as well. Never heard of him. Kind of introduced the world to Snoop Dogg. And then, of course, kind of kept tight within the death row scene, Tupac and the infamous Suge Knight, which kind of disrupted things a bit. And then, you know, kind of not too long after that, um, he puts out The Chronic 2001 which still to this day is an extremely celebrated hip-hop record as well. I mean, pretty much every solo Dre record, I think with kind of the exception of the most recent one, has been kind of a landmark hip-hop album, and it's actually very reflective of kind of the time in a way. In a sense, with listening to the Dre records, you kind of get an understanding of where hip-hop was at a given moment in time. Because with the original Chronic, you have a lot of G-Funk and you still have it's kind of those West Coast beginnings. And then with the Chronic 2001, 
it's definitely moving a little bit more in a different direction. I mean, you still have definitely a West Coast flavor with, you know, still Dre and the next episode. But then you also have, you know, the prevalence of Eminem, you know, which I think the big thing that doesn't get talked about as much with Dre is just the fact of how he's put on and has given careers to so many other great artists as well. And I think more so than even some of the other producers that we've talked about, I feel like that's kind of been his specialty. Not to say that Dre isn't a bad producer. His production work on both the Chronic albums should be definitely studied and like observed in regards to making a, you know, modern sounding record, making, you know, music that sounds crisp, and, you know, fresh, you know, utilizing you know, proper utilization of samples. I mean, so many people got put on to Parliament Funkadelic, too, just by listening to a lot of the, the early Dre records. So, yeah, I paid a lot of homage to that type of stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like in a way that was pretty much what G-Funk and a lot of West Coast music essentially was, was taking these really clean funk samples and then putting their twist on it, making it for a, a modern audience and just reworking it a little bit. But I would still say that for Dre to have done pretty much all of the production himself, especially on, I believe, that first Chronic record, I mean, from what my understanding is, I mean, that really kind of changed the game in a big way, not only just for the West Coast, movement but just hip-hop in general in the sense that i feel like the production level of hip-hop elevated with that record basically you know because it did bring a bit of a budget and kind of like i said it's just even now like you know 30 years later or whatever it, it still sounds really crisp yeah yeah it does it's one of the records as we talked about last episode when we were talking about records in the early 90s that still sound good to this day and i mean in a way it may be one of i remember you talked about how some of the rock records of the 90s could sound even a bit overproduced and if there was an example for hip-hop it probably would be the chronic yeah yeah i'd say so because illmatic didn't have an overproduced flavor to it oh no definitely not i mean with illmatic it was I felt like Illmatic was kind of the exact opposite of that. It was more underground. It was more kind of low fidelity at points. It wasn't super low fidelity, but it did have a bit of that character, yes. Yeah, and I think it's in part because of the whole East-West Coast thing. But then, mm -hmm. of course, with Nas, it being his first album, he didn't have, I don't think, nearly the same budget that Dre would have had at that time since Dre did have you know, some clout coming off of NWA and, you know, producing records for... But wouldn't you argue that a lot of those East Coast productions are kind of rough anyway? But you're right. I'm not trying to take away the fact that he couldn't... You're right. He couldn't really afford something as high budget anyway. But even then, I kind of felt a lot of East Coast productions were a bit rough around the edges. Maybe even part of it was probably because of money or even it was just a style. I don't know. Well, I think with the East Coast thing, I do think that kind of edge that you're talking about is kind of maybe a, a stylistic thing in the sense that it, it is kind of a bit more reflective of like the environment because mm -hmm. 
some parts of New York to be kind of grimy and kind of a little bit more, you know, I guess concrete in that respect. And so I feel like the music kind of just reflected the environment as opposed to where you have West Coast music, which, you know, since the West Coast is, you know, sunshine and palm trees and whatnot, the music's going to be a little more laid back and is going to maybe have a little bit more of a, a laid back characteristic, kind of more brightness, I guess, in the mix as well. But I mean, like I said, both records are phenomenal in their own right. I mean, definitely with the East Coast too, the big difference of East Coast and West Coast hip hop is in the samples, of course. I mean, with East Coast, it's so jazz influenced. It's so jazz and piano strings, you know, stuff like that. Horns, you know, too. There's always a bit of a white noise hiss in the background. Yeah, like a little static or something. Um, You know, those kind of SP... What is it? SP twelve hundred style drums too. Oh, I was thinking about the four four for a second. I don't know why. Yeah, no, that well that <laughs> too, but like definitely the SP twelve hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. twelve hundred was definitely like a big East Coast thing, and then the West Coast, you know, had a lot of funk samples basically, and I mean they sampled you know a lot of yacht rock too. Like you have Regulate, you know, by Warren G, which was you know kind of a a song in that era, which is sampling michael mcdonald so i mean yeah so there you go um so some of the samples are pretty interesting but regardless i mean the production like i said from dre is just immaculate and i think in big part that's the reason why there's such a long period between dre's albums is because he seems to have a bit of a perfectionist approach to um doing his records not to say that the other producers that we've talked about do not have perfectionism they do but i feel like dre really takes his time with it i mean you kind of know you know a dre record kind of when you hear it in the sense of just hard-hitting drums like i said an overall clean smooth mix kind of across the entire frequency response um, he uses strings as well. I mean, like the Chronic 2001 had a lot more of that variance and orchestration as well as kind of the G-Fug stuff that he started with. He's quite the sniper of a producer due to his tendency to not release so quickly or sporadically. He kind of knows exactly what he wants to do and he might, you know, I mean, I can't tell you why he takes the time he takes, but I think that's part of it is his precision and his accuracy and his tactility. Yeah very surgical and then i mean like i said the big thing that i take away from dre's career more than even his producing is is like i said the fact that he's discovered and put on so much great talent in the music industry at at large you had you know of course eminem which he pretty much catapulted and thrust into success with you know some of those early records too i mean like the slim shady lp marshall mathers lp even the Eminem show, I would say those are all, I think, very deserving of like modern day classic status for sure. Definitely. And I mean, a lot of that came from just the uniqueness of Eminem at that time, kind of with the wordplay and the way that he could kind of juggle seriousness, but comedy too, I think was kind of a big thing. 
there's a big contrast, especially on on a record like the Marshall Mathers LP, where you know you have a song, you know, like Kim, and then you have something like the Real Slim Shady or something like that, where it's a completely different vibe just within those couple songs. But still, you know, the fact that Dre put on Eminem, you know, one of the highest selling you know, rappers of all time, actually, maybe if not the highest selling rapper of all time. You know what? Being white absolutely worked to his benefit. Oh, most definitely. I mean, I think even Eminem can't argue that. But I think the thing that made it, Eminem is kind of really the only truly successful white rapper not just <laughs> I thought of Vanilla Ice, and I was like, "Why is that thought even in my head?" <laughs> well, well, I mean, okay, okay. Let, 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 let me before I make this point, I'm, I'm going to clarify something, which is when I say that he is the most like successful white rapper, or like one of the only successful white rappers. I'm not saying it just in commercial sales. Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> That's what made it funny because I'm like, dude, Vanilla Ice doesn't even touch like anyone in my opinion. <laughs> Right, right. Because in commercial sales, obviously, Vanilla Ice beat him to the punch. Vanilla Ice, speaking of, was, I think, the first rapper to win a Grammy. He was a pioneer. I'm going to give him that. He was a pioneer. Yes. So there you go. You wonder why hip-hop heads do not like the Grammys. That is why. Um, In big part, it's because of Vanilla Ice being one of the first recipients. And it's also because they gave Will Smith a Grammy over Public Enemy. Yeah, big mistake. Which was also kind of a a moment. Um, That was before Will Smith started slapping comedians. (laughs) So, but anyway, back to, (laughs) but back to Eminem. The big thing that sets him apart from, of course, pretty much every other white rapper that has come after him is not just the commercial success, but actually the success and the respect within the culture of hip hop itself. There hasn't really been a white rapper that's come along that's had the same level of respect amongst the hip hop community. No, because they almost always totally rip them off. Right. And I mean, there's been, you know, like I said, there's been countless white rappers. Yeah. And they're actually very good, but they sound just like Eminem. Right. A lot of them do rip off Eminem. Exactly. I mean, you listen to like an NF record or something and, <laughs> and it kind of, and it kind of sounds like a, a it kind of sounds like a Christian Eminem, basically. Christian M. I love it. Yeah. It does sound like an Eminem for like an Imagine Dragons audience. Oh, good. Uh, that was good. As a matter of fact, if Imagine Dragons and NF actually do a collab, I would not be surprised slightest same just because that's what i think they would do at this point so you've had like nf you've had of course jack harlow i mean jack harlow might be kind of one of the only rappers that comes even remotely close in the sense of kind of like acceptance amongst the community but even still jack harlow got flamed pretty hard for his last album and rightfully so I mean, I guess you could say Post Malone then. I mean, he's kind of the biggest. I don't really want to get into the whole color thing. I think it's kind of, I mean, I only use it for facetious purposes. It really is not that big of a deal to me. But if we're going to, on a topic of white rappers, right? 
I mean, would you say Post Malone was like the next, I mean, Logic, but maybe Post Malone? Uh, Post Malone, I would say, but I think Post Malone went more into the singing even so than the rapping. Of course. I, mean, he, I, I guess, but in hip-hop culture, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because stylistically, he's not necessarily a rapper, but yeah. he definitely has um, been a giant yes. in the hip-hop space. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. People get down with Post Malone. Totally. Actually, the one that I totally forgot, which I feel bad for forgetting, but actually the one that I would say actually would be basically on par with Eminem would actually be Mac Miller. Oh, yeah. Why did I, I forget? I totally <laughs> forgot to mention that, and I feel kind of bad that I did because... Shame on us, man. Shame on you as a white man and, and me as a black man. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but you know what? I, I remembered it now, you know, we have post-production editing as well, so... You mean post, post-Malone post-production? Oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah, sure. But, uh, but no, um, you know, I did remember him, and I did remember to mention him now. Um, as We're leaving it in. It has character. Go on. Yeah, we, we have to mention Mac Miller. Rest in peace, Mac Miller. I think it's really M and Mac Miller. In terms of white rappers it's really those two because then you look at the other ones and it's like okay macklemore he had his moment but he fell off Mm -hmm. pretty hard jack harlow is getting commercial success but doesn't really have the critical acclaim he's kind of a macklemore to me not necessarily stylistically but you get what i'm saying and then logic is somebody who has a lot of technical skill but i don't think has the commercial acclaim or really the sales that even some of the other ones do. He has been a bit of an indie guy to me, I'd say. In a way, I can kind of respect that in the sense that, you know, he is kind of right. doing his own thing and he doesn't really care about kind of the mainstream thing. I mean, he doesn't, because with Logic, he doesn't really have to anymore. I mean, he had to kind of in the beginning play to some mainstream appeals, but since he got like that deal with Twitch or something where he was getting something like millions of dollars just to stream on Twitch. Um, he retired from music at one point. I mean, who wouldn't do that? Right. Exactly. But I mean, like I said, just back to the full circle of things, Dre really put on Eminem and it really was Dre's cosign um, from like production as well as just kind of the general cosign that I think really he gave Eminem a big boost too in the fact that Dre was in his corner and said, this guy's legit. I'm going to produce this record. It's going to have my stamp of approval on it. And I think people were able to get with Eminem just because of, in big part also, Dre's, you know, co-sign and producing, um, you know, 50 Cent too got put on by Dre in a big way. Oh, true. Yeah. That was a movement in itself. I mean, that first 50 record was inescapable, just immensely successful. And then, I mean, the two that I really want to mention kind of now are Anderson Pack and Kendrick. I mean, both of those guys got, you know, pretty big elevations and starts from Dre as well. Um, you know, Kendrick, you know, of course, got signed to uh, Aftermath and, you know, later TDE. And then, of course, with Anderson Pack, Anderson Pack's story is kind of a bit more interesting in the sense that Anderson Pack was a featured artist on, like, I think at least a couple, 
if not like five plus songs on Dre's last record, like last solo record, which was the Compton album um, that he put out. And then, you know, pretty much got propelled into what he's doing now too. But I want to say that like Kendrick and Anderson are the kind of next generation of sorts. I mean, with Kendrick making some of, or not even in my opinion, but I think just kind of as a fact, I think Kendrick has made some of the best hip-hop albums ever. I think Good Kid, Mad City is a classic. I think To Pimp a Butterfly is a classic. I mean, Damn, I think, is kind of something that maybe wasn't appreciated as well when it was released, but I think people have grown to it. I mean, I don't think people are wrong when they say that Kendrick is kind of the radio head of hip-hop in a big way. I see a lot of similarities between Radiohead's discography and Kendrick's in the sense that um, the albums just sound extremely different. Um, like with Radiohead, they don't make the same album twice. And I feel like Kendrick is the same way. He's not going to make Good Kid, Mad City 2 you know, or Section 82. And, you know, kind of the same thing with Radiohead. I mean, the Benz kind of sounded a little bit like Pablo Honey, but not really. I mean, the Benz kind of had its own thing. It's easily the superior album. I mean, that's my take. Even with Creep on it. Yeah, but there's just a lot of similarities, though. If you parallel... I hear them. Yeah, if you hear them... I yeah, hear them. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I was agreeing with everything you were saying anyway. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think it's also just the level of acclaim, too in the sense that I think Radiohead might have to be just one of like the most acclaimed bands ever um, in terms of rock, especially in modern rock. And I would say Kendrick is definitely that equivalent in hip hop in the sense that pretty much when he's about ready to release, everybody is kind of anticipating it. And they're kind of seeing what Kendrick is going to do next. And it's going to be fascinating to see with Kendrick kind of splitting from Top Dog Entertainment, his you know, label that he's been on for such a long time, and kind of starting his own thing, it'll be very interesting to see kind of how that changes Kendrick's production. That'll be really, really interesting to see how that happens. And I mean, in a way, that's kind of an interesting potential topic for the next time around is the idea of artists who have now detached themselves from their labels and have started their own labels. And with Dre, I mean, he was kind of one of the first really prolific producers and artists to really do that with the creation of his Aftermath label. And then I feel like that laid the blueprint for what so many rappers or artists are doing now, where they are diverging from you know, their major label that they started on to create their subsidiary labels and kind of become the mogul themselves, um, you know, because of guys like Dre or even, you know, Diddy in that way too, almost being more well known for their mogul sense than even as a producer. Um, that's definitely a, a topic that's well worth discussing, the idea of the subsidiary label you know, versus the major label. And especially with the trends now, so many big artists going independent or a lot of 
artists that are on the come up that are staying independent. Um, that's definitely something well worth talking about. But that might have to wait till the next episode. Next episode. Once again, thank you guys for tuning in to another edition of Work Tape Podcast. Once again, it's your boy, Money Mitchell. We got Isaac Groove and Grover. Stay hydrated and tune in for the next episode. So, peace. Peace.